Welcome back to the Native AZ Sports Show, episode 12 with Patak and Dalton. We're going to be talking ASU, UCLA, and USC game recaps. Ben, how the hell are you, buddy? I'm doing great, Nick. I've had a hell of a week. I got married this week down in Key West. I went to Disneyland, excuse me, Disney World, Universal, and Epcot. Thursday, went to the UCLA game with you. Friday, I had my high school team hit a game-winning half-court shot against the number two team in state. Last night saw the Suns take down the Pacers for a victory. It's been it's been a solid one. Wow! And uh, to all those who didn't catch that, Ben just got married down in Key West. Uh, I've got two young kids. I hate that I was not able to be there, but I couldn't be happier for you, man. Congratulations to you and uh, Sierra. Couldn't be happier. Thank you, man. It was a blast. Honestly, best week of my life. And then the best thing is right after we're going to Arizona sporting events. We went to ASU, ASU UCLA. Ben and I are both Suns season ticket holders, so we're back at it. And so we were both at the ASU-UCLA game. Uh, we're going to dive deep into that because it was an amazing game from a crowd perspective. It really felt like a real college basketball game. Ben, what are your like overall little thoughts on the game? And then we'll dive deeper because we took a lot of notes while we were there. Yeah, so I'll say this, Nick. I haven't been to a lot of games due to kind of COVID for the past couple of years. And this one actually felt like... Probably when we were in school, you remember how rowdy it used to get with the Harden era, yeah. um, with Pentagraph, Ty Abbott. It was very loud consistently and all the time. And we were walking in the stadium and the students were lined up out past Sun Devil Stadium and they were ready to go. And as we saw, it was a student attendance record of over 5,000 at this game. So it was a good atmosphere. Props to the students who came out. It was packed. Um like Ben said, record you know student attendance, over 5,000 students. We just want to see that more and more because we have the alumni base. We have the population base. We have the student base. It's just all about being consistent and showing up. Uh, but let's dive into the game. So in the first five minutes of the game, it was tied five to five. It was a defensive match for a lot, a lot of the real, really the first half and into a lot of the second half. Um, we noticed a few things. We took a lot, you know, some notes. UCLA was uh, really in a full court press every time Frankie Collins or Austin Nunez had the ball. Collins got pulled early by uh, Bobby Hurley. We were active on defense, causing turnovers. Um, what were your first? few thoughts on like the first call at five, seven, eight minutes of the game, Ben. Yeah. So one, I was a little bit surprised by Frankie Collins play because he's been such an excellent scorer. Uh, he was jumping to pass a hell of a lot. He was getting into the lane, taking off and getting stuck. I think he had three or four, four turnovers right away. Bobby pulled them early. They brought in Nunez who played some excellent defense, kind of settled us down a little bit. Um, it was a defensive game right from the jump, which as a coach myself, I'm excited to see. I think defense translates easily into offense, and it also shows a lot of effort. So I liked the start of the game. Yes, we weren't necessarily efficient on offense, but seeing the number five team in the country struggle against our defense was a plus. Definitely. Um, you know, Austin Nunez, I thought, did a pretty solid job. Uh I have just some notes that we wrote down. DJ Horn hit a big three with 13 minutes and 20 seconds left to go. Did notice Duke Brennan got in the game, got two quick fouls. Um, it was really a pretty tight game through the first half. Uh, and we were making some notes that for the, through the first 10 minutes of the game, we thought ASU should have been trying to split the pick and roll. Um, and you really had some thoughts on continuing the drive and not pulling out on the drive. It just really seemed like, you know, we were working a lot of pick and roll uh, on the elbow extended near the baseline sideline and not really 
you know, splitting the pick and roll, attacking the basket, driving and kicking. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, and this is where a lot of my frustration is with this team because we are not a great shooting team. No. But for some reason, we fall in love with just taking outside jumpers, playing really a long ways to the shot clock, not getting deep into your offensive sets to the three-point line. A lot line, of ball watching. The elbow. Yeah, there's not a lot of pick or uh, ISO. It's a, it's ISO play. Right. There's not a lot of cuts that are going on. As we said, they're not splitting the pick. And we saw when they became efficient, it was because they were driving. They were getting out quickly on fast breaks. They were beating their men to the ball. We're an athletic team. That's where you can stop better teams, maybe like UCLA, by playing more efficiently. But when you play against your weaknesses, it's kind of mind-blowing when you're just taking these shots that are either guarded by one man or two man, three-point line, long twos, instead of playing to your strengths, which is cutting, getting to the basket, getting tip-ins, playing your athletic ability. And that goes back to coaching a little bit, Nick. It does. There was a lot of stationary balls, a lot of ISO ball. I felt like I was watching a really glorified high-end LA fitness style run, lifetime fitness style run. We have, and that's, I hope that doesn't come off like I'm discounting how talented this ASU team is. We have a lot of athletes, a lot of great defenders, premium athleticism on this team, but they don't play as a team. You know, when they, when they run this play and the Suns do this a lot too, is like they, they put the center up at the top of the key and they try to do a dribble handoff. Like Warren Washington, 25 feet from the basket is not a threat. I don't understand the thought when a guy who's a center can't dribble the basketball and that's a lot of what they're running. Put someone at the free throw line, try to break down the zone, try to have some backdoor cuts, have some movement off the ball. Besides your main pick and roll action, having three stationary guys who, like you said, aren't shooters. I don't understand what Bobby Hurley a lot of times runs. Bobby, and this is an overarching thing that both of us gripe on, yells at the refs and does not make... If he spent as much time making adjustments and truly coaching and running set plays out of timeouts and also set plays as he does yelling at the refs, I think we'd be uh, you know, able to beat a lot of these really elite teams. Yeah, and we'll get into it a little bit deeper in our analysis of the game here, but he just consistently called the wheel play over and over and yes. over again. And Explain to the listeners what the wheel play is because you're you're a basketball coach as well. Yeah, absolutely. Essentially a dribble handoff. And the players, are, it's a, it's a motion-based offense. Um, and you're, you're cutting off of the motion. There may be some side of sort of some sort of backside pick involved, but ASU does not have that involved in their wheel play. So it's really a dribble handoff looking to attack to score for the next dribble handoff to catch the defense off guard. Now, the issue is the point guard, whoever it was, Nunez or Frankie Collins would look over at Bobby almost every time up the court. And Bobby, I'd say 75% of the time was yelling at the referees instead of paying attention. You get 25 to 23 seconds now left in the shot clock. Without a good shooting team who isn't cutting, utilizing backdoor picks, you now have maybe 20 seconds to hopefully catch these guys off guard on a wheel play, which doesn't usually happen when a number five team who is very efficient and strong with their defense, and it leaves you late in the shot clock trying to get a score it, up. It does, and that's why you need to work in backside cuts or trying to work on a team that's over-pursuing you know, passing lanes, trying to get out in transition. Then you hit them with the backdoor cut. Then the backdoor cutter gets the ball, and then it's a late-sagging, rotating defender. Then you can make some things happen with athleticism in the half court. But if you keep running this wheel play like you're talking about, and it's the same exact play all over and over again without a lot of variations, people are going to adjust to that. Like I just don't understand what Bobby a lot of times is doing. So... Um, you know, it, it was tied, right? Wasn't it tied going in pretty much tied going in the half? We're up. I actually, no, I'm sorry. We were up by what five or so. Yeah. Five, I believe. And 
and we had a good little run there. And the run, again, started from driving to the basket, using our defense to get out on fast breaks. Um, there were some solid dunks that took place. It really got the crowd hyped up. Um, the half-court three to end the half was pretty sweet. Yeah, that was fun to watch. And it was Cambridge, pl- right? Yeah, it's, it's amazing what happens when ASU plays to their strengths. They are a much stronger team. When they get away from that, they become this team that's maybe mediocre in the pack. And then what happened in the second half? UCLA opens up on an 8-0 run. You know, it's like lack of focus, you know, and is that has to come down somewhat to coaching. I mean, when your head coach is consistently, like you said, we've seen this for past years. It's clear Bobby Hurley or some of the guys can recruit solidly. They've they've taken ASU basketball from an absolute dumpster fire joke of a program to a solid, respectable program. So that's a big jump, right? It it is a very respectable basketball program now. Uh, But to get it to be really great and elite, like, unfortunately, our counterparts down south in Tucson have a very good basketball program. I don't think he's the coach to to lead us there. Well, and I I think Des Cambridge is honestly a perfect example of what this program is. Mm -hmm. Bobby Hurley probably goes down. He sits on these parents' couches or or Des's couch, and he says, hey, I'm going to let you be who you are. You're going to be able to shoot. I'm going to give you the ultimate green light. And when UCLA went on that 8-0 run, Cambridge essentially let us back by himself. And he can be hot and he can make baskets pretty easily, what you like to call Nick a microwave score. But he's also the issue. He starts chucking after that. Yeah, you maybe get one heat check. But then he's late, early in shot clocks, two guys on him, hitting fadeaways, trying for three-pointers. You can see the reaction from his teammates that are frustrated. But Hurley never says a thing. And... Yes, maybe that sometimes gets you to beat like a number one Kansas back in the day because you get hot. But ultimately, you're going to fail because there is no coach that's kind of pulling you back a little bit and saying, hey, that's not a good shot at this time in the pot. Right. Or, or when, the we beat, when we beat Michigan, it was just an onslaught of like athleticism. And you've played in those games, Ben, and you've coached those games where it, it was just an onslaught of momentum. If they played again, the ASU would not beat them by 20 plus. It was just one of those... It kept going and going and going. And that can happen. You have really premium athletes and you have a lot of guys that were, they, they were just locking up Michigan, for example, you know, full court, full court press. I mean, it, they had them discombobulated. And to echo your point, to really play more consistent team basketball, they need more shooters. They need more set plays. They need more action. Like I watched the U of A UCLA game and U of A just plays so much better as a team in the half court. Um, and they have, you know, frankly, more talented, skilled players as well. But uh, I think we really need that going forward. Well, and so we've talked about, Nick, U of A has a great system that they build on. And yep. they may, they've had a good run this year, but some teams, they struggle at the start with the system being implemented because they're not used to it. Yep. But the goal is to get better as the season goes on. ASU seems to fall in the same rut every time. System is, let's just get the athletes out and run. Right. Then teams pick up later in the second half of the year. ASU and Bobby Hurley doesn't adjust. Yep. So kind of going back to your point also, Nick, I, I coach 14 to 18-year-olds. There's obviously some differences in 18 to 12 year old, 18 to 22-year-olds. But the issue is the coach is in charge of when you let these athletes out yes. to run. You set the press. You maybe are trapping. You're letting them kind of go at it, giving them the ultimate green light. You're the guy that ultimately has to say, okay, now's the time to pull back. And I'm not in the huddle. You and I aren't. But what we watch is Bobby Hurley doesn't ever seem to really do that. Ever. And it's so frustrating from a fan perspective and from a fan perspective of a guy who has seen Bobby Hurley get these recruits in town and turn this this college into at least somewhere that people want to play. And he's one of the best point guards in college to, to ever play the game. So it's just so weird to me, Nick. I don't understand it. I, I don't get it either. Uh, 
Yeah, I really don't. Um, and, and, you know, to echo your point and to really can, you know, continue on that, you would think that the, one of the better college point guards of all time would think like a floor general and be able to have the coaching ability, like a floor general, really reel the players back in, uh, and not just always yell at the refs, but that's what he's known for. So going back into the game analysis, it was tied 57, 57 with seven thirty four to go. Nunez was really big. He was being able to get in the lane a little bit. Uh, we also made some notes about Frankie Collins, just jumping up in the air way too many times where he's, you know, trying to make something happen and he's turning it over. Um, I thought the crowd was pretty good. I thought at times it, we're just not as mature of a crowd yet because we haven't obviously gotten to that elite level style uh, of, of program. I think there were times where the crowd was sitting on its hands that it could have really helped to like get some chance going. But at the same time, I'm very happy uh, how the crowd turned out. So I don't think it was necessarily anything on the crowd's perspective. What is the biggest stat? the end of the game we did not score in the last 336 of the game yeah that's that's pretty but what, what do we i have it on her notes crunch time bobby hurley yelling at the refs with 23 seconds left on the shot clock instead of like you said telling frankie collins or austin nunez do this play you know that's where you you're supposed to be able to say i noticed you know call a timeout and be like there's an adjustment i can make right here an adjustment might lead to four points because it you know notices there's somebody not over pursuing an angle, hit him with a backdoor cut. Like it's just he's not coaching. Yeah, and and for you fans watching, next time you watch ASU play, watch Bobby and it, you know in the NBA when they go for a challenge, they put the index finger up and they do the circle. That's Bobby doing the circle for a wheel play, and he'll typically be yelling at the ref until twenty five to twenty seconds left in the shot clock, and then you'll see him do the circle and look over at Nunez or Collins. So that's when you you see that play being implemented. And down the stretch, there's just not a lot of creativity. And that's really when good coaching comes into play, especially, like we said, with 18 to 22-year-olds that are looking to their coach as their leader, maybe a lot more than some of the NBA players. I agree. Um, you know, and then we're going to transition into the uh, USC game, which just happened yesterday. ASU loses 77 to 69. It was actually a lot. Uh, it wasn't even that close until they went on a really uncontested run, ASU. Um you know, for USC, Drew Peterson, Boogie Ellis, Trey White, and uh, Vincent, I can't pronounce the last name, apologize, were really good. Uh, ASU had a nice game from Warren Washington and Des Cambridge, but that was basically it. Nobody else scored more than eight points. Um, frustrating to drop. This is where now ASU is 15 and five after dropping the um, home series against the LA team. So they lose a tight one to UCLA until the end, they lose one that they were down pretty badly until the end uh, to USC. They're 15 and five. Okay. So our next games, um, checking the schedule, right. Is that we've got, let's see, UCLA and USC. Now we're going to go a road series to Washington, Washington state, Oregon state and Oregon are at home and they have Stanford and Cal on the road. Those are the next six games. What is a successful minimum number of wins to keep pace to make the tournament? and to keep pace in the Pac-12? What, what's the minimum of the next six? So the magic number of thinking you have a realistic shot of getting in is usually 20 wins, Nick. You want to get over that, but if you're at 20, you feel like you have a chance. And I think ASU's got to go at least four and two in these next games to stay pace. Obviously, you'd like a better record, but four and two, I feel a little bit comfortable. Yeah. 
if it's two wins, then you're like, oh, here we go. Or 17 and um, nine, right? Then it's like, is this going to happen again where it's a bubble decision, right? You, we just don't want to go through that. Uh, Washington on the road and Washington State are beatable. Uh, I think we, let's just call it right now. We'll make a, I say we split one of those. We'll just drop one game just because it's on the road. I think ASU beats both Oregon State and Oregon at home and then splits Stanford Cal on the road. One of them they'll lose to. Yeah, I'd like to say they beat both Stanford and Cal, probably lose at least one against Washington, Washington State. And then I can see him having a little bit of a lull against the Oregon teams. But right. it's kind of a toss-up here. You, you really don't know. Road games are tough for college kids, right. so you'd like to say you win at home. but And they need some really good quad one wins. Um, you know, And it would be a huge to have a signature win, beat Arizona, beat UCLA on the road. That would solidify their legitimacy in the tournament, I would think undoubtedly. They get 20-plus wins and they beat an Arizona or UCLA, right? I think that would be huge. Yeah, and... and- the guys, the decision makers, they're going to look at that San Francisco loss. You're going to have to overcome that yep. big time. That was a horrible loss. A horrible loss because they'll say, oh, man, they lost by 50 to the Dons. 37, 97 to 60. It was just yeah. a weird aberration like of a game. Yep. Yeah. 28 to 5. <laughs> <laughs> 28 to 5. Yeah. That's the Gambo rant. <laughs> um, but I, like you said, I think if you can take down one of those right. top-tier programs, you look good. I don't know how many teams are going to get in from the pack this year. Right. I looked into that Creighton the, win isn't as impressive anymore, and the Michigan win isn't as impressive anymore because of their records and some injuries. Right. But to show you how the variance of play is with this style of team, we beat Michigan by 25, and we lost to San, you know University of San Francisco by 37. Yeah, and before these USC and UCLA losses, we were in and or a bubble team. So that makes you think you have to get one of these signature wins if you're going to make it into the tournament, unless you go on some remarkable run here where those are the two losses that you have is UCLA and Arizona, and you beat the rest of them. Yep. Um, overall thoughts, do you think anybody else should be playing more? I, I liked how Luther Muhammad looks at times, but... He's a stabilizer. He's a, He seems stable, where Dez sometimes, he's the X-factor microwave when... Yeah, but yeah, he's he worries me, but he's also yeah. the guy that can tear it up. Um, Frankie Collins, when he's right, is really explosive. Yeah, bigger Cambridge and that shot. Should they play Collins tough. and Nunez at the same time? Uh, it's a small lineup, so that makes it sometimes a little tough. But we saw that with with Holder um, and Evans back in the day, so yeah. it's definitely possible to be successful. Um, I think it just depends on the teams and who else is playing well. Because, like you said, you want Washington in there when Cambridge isn't shooting the outside three. Bigger Cambridge is who I'm referring to. Um, they're they're really efficient as inside scorers. So, um, yeah, you got to mix it up. But, again, it comes down to coaching. Is is he going to make the adjustments as we go forward? Is this going to be a different type of year? Uh, history repeats itself, so I'm skeptical. I just hope he does. But, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wish we could figure out a way to keep the recruiting going up and keep ascending the program, but I just don't think he's the right coach to really get us to a top 15 basketball program. Yeah. And, consistently. and it's, a, it's still a sleeping giant. Like kids want to play here to a degree. Obviously the blue chip schools are always going to get the guys, but there's, there's offers going on to these in-state guys. I see Bobby, a lot of these high school tournaments. So, mm-hmm. he's so he is, he is out at the high school tournaments in Arizona. Yeah. He offered uh, one of our kids true Washington pretty early on. Hasn't been a lot of communication, I don't know, lately there. But he, he's at these tournaments trying to get the, the Arizona talent. So he's present. He's a really good recruiter, of course. Right. 
That is for sure, um, because pre-Hurley, it was not pretty uh, in terms of our program. So that's pretty much what we are wrapping up with on the ASU, UCLA, and USC uh, recap. You know, it's Sunday, January 22nd, 2023. So as of now, ASU is 15-5 and five in the season, and we're, you know, solidly through Pac-12 play, and we'll consistently uh, update you on how ASU is doing. And we'll also have, in the future, a U of A recap Headed on by a special guest, um, diehard U of A fan. So, uh, signing off on this episode. Final thoughts, Ben? Um, it was a fun game to go to, Nick. Uh, like you said, I thought the crowd was pretty into it. It they was fun, fun to get after it. Um, would really like to see this team make the tournament. Makes it much more exciting for me in March, except for just my bets that are out <laughs> there. Um, if we can get a second round, man, it's been a long time since that's happened. So. That would be successful getting the second round. 100%. And it just makes sense. Sweet 16 would be amazing. If you get Sweet 16, that's the thing about just these ASU programs in general. If they can ever just get that notoriety, the recruits will come. They just always fall one game short. So is this the year? I don't know. Do they have the athletes? Yes. Is some things going to need to change? Absolutely. Somebody might have to adjust in a role. Maybe maybe it's Luther Muhammad who would be the guy who's just an off-ball shooter. I mean, Marcus Bagley is a head case in some capacity that obviously a lot of people, you know, there's a reason he's not with the program. I wish him the best, um, but I, I would love to have him as a scorer. Yeah, you feel like you're a Marcus Bagley a short, don't you? Yeah. If you had a Marcus Bagley. got a Bagley, great shot. Uh, yeah, when he came in, there was a lot of excitement. He's just, he was just Because he can shoot shooter. off the ball, too. There's just so many guys on ASU that are on-ball scorers that we don't have enough off-ball shooting. Yeah, he's big. He could rebound. Yeah, it's disappointing that it didn't work out here. Yeah. Um, we're, we're missing a guy like that, but who knows? Go on a little bit of a run here. That's what college basketball is all about. If you can get the streak at the right time. Eh, you know, even a victory in the in the Pac-12 tournament, if, yeah. if you win the Pac-12 tournament, that, Huge. I'd be so excited there, even if we don't make the second round, just because, I don't know, Nick, have we ever even done it? Mm, has ASU what? Won the Pac-12 tournament? Good question. I don't think so since it's been initiated because it hasn't been around has, a I'm really this long currently. time. Uh, we had a we had a good opportunity there with with the Harden and Pentagraph years, but of course that was when the Pac-12 was just absolutely stacked with Ken Love, Russell Westbrook, the Lopez brothers, Clay Thompson, right everywhere. Jared Bayless. Uh, let me look on the Pac-12 website uh, for Pac-12 conference for men's basketball. It's going back. Wow, it's going back to 1915. Uh, do you know Idaho was in the Pac before? That's interesting. I do remember that. Okay. <laughs> uh, wow, a lot of UCLA, a lot of UCLA, a lot of Arizona in the last 30 years. Stanford, Oregon. Uh, the answer is unfortunately no. Yeah, figured. ASU but, has not won the Pac-12 championship. Wow, but basically almost everyone else has. Yeah, literally. Uh, Cal, Oregon State, UCLA, Washington, Arizona, um, Stanford, uh, Cal, Oregon. I don't see US uh, USC as one in the past. Yeah, I think but I was... USC won the year with OJ Mayo. I think they won with Harden and Pentagraph, but I could be wrong there. Yeah, man, that was just a st- when we were in school, Nick. There were yeah, just some studs everywhere. They were talent all over the place. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know your acquaintances with with Harden, obviously good friends with Ty Abbott. So yeah, we'll have, a, we'll have to have Ty on the show sometime soon. That'd yeah, be great. last time I saw James Harden, it was uh, I think it was the night he declared for the draft, and wow. I was walking down 
uh, with you're the girl the same, I was seeing at the time. And you're in the same like, dorm. Yeah. He was like, yo, Ben, is that your girl? And I was <laughs> like, I don't know, man. And he was like, dang, you lucky. And then eight months later, he's dating Khloe Kardashian. So that's a that's a story. How life could... can change as a first round draft pick <laughs> yeah. in the NBA. That's a story I can tell that's, the kids. That's one a day, good but... story for a podcast on another episode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, signing off, Patak and Dalton, uh, ASU, UCLA, USC recap. Hopefully things start to improve. Uh, everybody have a great weekend. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening. See ya.